here in this room is a well. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mystery Vault podcast. I'm your host RJ McCready, and for this episode, we're going to be covering one of the one of the biggest mysteries in the world. It's like a global phenomenon, and I'm pretty sure that most of you, not if all of you listening to this show, will know about this one. And that is the Loch Ness monster. That's right, guys. The elusive Nessie, who has staked its claim around the world, because when people talk about lake monsters, and there are other cases in different parts of the world. Um, people do compare it to the Loch Ness monster. It's 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 up there, and as I said, it's a it's a global phenomenon. Um, people, it, it it's become like a household name when you mention the Loch Ness monster. If, so, if you see a ripple in a lake or something like that, or you think you might have seen something, people say, "Oh yeah, it could be like the Loch Ness monster," um, which makes this case so interesting. It's what I'm going to be getting into, and um, you know, I'll be. As I said in the last show, I'll give you my take on it and what I think. Uh, but I won't get to that part yet. What I do, I'll just hold off there for a second because I've got some, um, well, a little bit of feedback or I've got a message from a friend and listener uh, who's a friend of mine, and that is Darren Randall. And, you know, he's, he said he's enjoying the show so far, and he just said, um, and this is what I'm saying, guys, you know, when you talk about mysteries, you do get into conversations with people and they'll give you some information and say, look, you know, you did you think about this? So Darren told me this, he sent me a message saying, there are three types of mysteries. Uh, you've got the first kind, which are the ancient mysteries. Now this is where our ancestors confused things like, you know, say the, the moon, the sun, uh, solar eclipses, um, lightning storms. Uh, you could even throw in there like the tides, you know, going in and out. Phenomenons like that too are... Um, ancient ancestors that thought that these were f- phenomenons in some sort of ways, you know, the gods and everything like that. Whereas now, as we've progressed with modern day science, we can work that out. So that is quite an important part of the unexplained world when you look at it like that. You know, when you bring science into it and progression, we start realising what these things are. So something back then, like you say, a solar eclipse, you think, wow, is, is, is the sun being eaten up by the gods? Have we done something wrong? Um, which kind of, I, I suppose that goes on to like there's the Greek mythology and you know, the Vikings with Thor and everything like that. So that is a really interesting part. So um, when you explain it like that, it, it, it starts to make sense. And you can go back to those ancient times and bring it up to the modern day times to try and work out the, the phenomenon today. Is it just something that we just can't work out? Um, but I'll get onto that later on with ghosts and things like that in other, in other episodes. Um, but there are other two two other kinds. Um, so then you've also got the second kind, where they are unexplained, but there are now clues that are getting us closer to that that explanation. Um, so that is like the case that I'm looking at today with the Loch Ness monster, where. Um, you have little bits of evidence like photos, eyewitness accounts, um, visual evidence from cameras and stuff like that. And 
you're getting close to finding out what it is, but you just don't have that final puzzle to say, well, this is absolutely what it is, but we're, we're, we're having a bit of a guess in the scientific world, um, but we don't have that solid final puzzle to say that is what it is. So that's the second part. And then you have the third kind, which is like ghost and paranormal activity, um, where you'll have photos and sounds like the evidence that I was talking about in the in the second kind but when you try to work this out there really is no explanation to it we can talk about it we can guess about it we can have opinions on it and all that sort of stuff but you're kind of thinking well I still don't know I don't, I don't think we're going to get there with this um, so there you go there they are the levels of the mysteries and I like that tool it's, it's very good it's very good to use um, and it's a great way to try and explain uh, mysteries to someone who's who's new to this and someone who's asked you and said, you know, I, I, I want to talk about mysteries. Can you help me with that? And you can use that tool. So thank you, Darren. Appreciate that. And that's what I said um, in the last episode or the intro is that I think the best way for us to try and work these mysteries out is talk to each other about it. And you um, that's why I put this show together as I said you know I've spoken to so many people about it it's always such a great topic of conversation and you might speak to someone new and they might throw in something and say oh did you think about this and you go well I never really thought about that before and it just gets you a little bit closer to try and work it out or gives you another idea so um, I like that so I thought I'd throw that in just before we start the um, start the show and having a look at the second kind in this case which is the Loch Ness monster so let's have a look at this case so Loch Ness is a large freshwater loch in the Scottish Highlands and it spans over 37 kilometers and the deepest point is 750 feet and it's actually one of the largest by volume lakes in the British Isles and it's also to mention a beautiful location in the world which also has an air of mystery about it because when you look at the location it's covered by uh, like a rocky terrain. The, the water is dark and murky and you know when you think about like lost worlds and things like that this is that place. So you can see why as you start off at 10 when you look at Loch Ness you think oh this is taking me back to the times of the dinosaurs and things like that so it brings you into that it's almost like a sort of bit of a romantic element i suppose you could say is that you have gone to a lost world and you you know you can see why people go there and think oh i might find a dinosaur or something like that so you've got your setting here and it's also worth mentioning that this lock is a result from the ice age it was created by one of the the glaciers from that time it sort of gorged this uh, lake out and that's why you've got the the train that you have today and it does make you wonder doesn't it you know you think about the ice age from those prehistoric times could it have possibly have captured something in there that's you know thawed out over time and could that possibly put what it is that we're dealing with today who knows i don't know i'm just putting it out there as a possibility but that thought i had there is one of one of the possibilities that people think about in this case and you know let's talk about Nessie so Nessie is a cryptid in cryptozoology and it's often described as a large long-necked creature with one or more humps um, so people would describe it as a plesiosaur that is that is basically the main um, thing that people think of when they think of the Loch Ness monster is a plesiosaur uh, which would 
went extinct about 66 million years ago. Um, and let's just talk about cryptozoology because that's something I haven't brought up yet. So a cryptid is something that is insufficient in mainstream science. So basically, um, scientists are very open to the fact that new species are being discovered around the world. I think that's like every day. Um, whether that's insects, um, I think there's different types of spiders. I think they're like the top top ones in the league that get discovered. So scientists are open to the fact that stuff does turn up. But in this case, there is real no hardcore evidence for them to say, yeah, okay, the Loch Ness Monster is a plesiosaur. Because I guess what they would need is something like a, a carcass or to physically go on a boat in Loch Ness and witness a plesiosaur popping its head out of the water and then them saying okay yeah right we can we, we, we can say this is this is plausible now um but that hasn't happened and the other cryptids around the world and there's an awful lot of them just to mention a few the the other big one it's probably bigger than this case which is the bigfoot uh the yeti the wendigo the jersey devil the cupacabra um other cases which are I'd like to visit uh, later on in the show, so I'll be looking into those. So I'll be using the word uh, cryptid or cryptozoology again. So it's, you know, it's great. It's a great, um, it's a great piece in the scientific world, and I'm sure there are scientists out there that are all for wanting to find these cases as well because it'd be pretty cool. Um, so I think the scientists on the on on you know are on side, but unless they've got you know hardcore evidence. Um, at this time, they just have to leave it open into the, the mystery world. So let's talk about the um, sightings and how this all came about. So one of the first cases was back in 1933. And it was on the 4th of August, whilst George Spicer and his wife were out and about driving around the lock because there had been a new road that had been built around about that time. And people were able to drive around the lock. Now, in this case... They noticed a large creature crossing the road and they described it as a long neck, big body, high back, moving rapidly and then it disappeared into the lock. And they also said that it had something in its mouth. And they were like surprised by this and they went to the media, they went to the, I think they went to the Daily Mail and they reported it and it got put, put into the paper and described as a monster fish. And there's parts in the article describing like a sea serpent, a dragon. And this was the first case where they actually came out and said, it's the Loch Ness Monster. And it, everybody flocked to, to Loch Ness, the media, everybody wanted a slice of this. Um, people were, you know, sold into it. They thought that they were going to find something. And I suppose when you look at the time, again, this, this is another important thing. Um... In the 1930s, you've got to remember you had like a, a Great Depression, and people needed, you know, some some light in their life, you know, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of hocus pocus. And I suppose if a plesiosaur or something like that was found in the lock, can you imagine back then people would just it just brings people's spirits up. And uh, you know, a little bit of a segue here, but this is what I'm talking about. You know, when we talk about mysteries, it does it does that. You know, it brings in that bit of hocus pocus, and that's what we like. So you can see how, you know, that in the 1930s, when this hit media attention, people would just flock into the, you know Loch Ness with their cameras to see if they could become you know, like the first person to take, take a picture of this. So this is where this became like a global phenomenon. 
Then a year later, there was a photograph taken. Now this photograph is the famous surgeon's photograph and it's the picture of the like the pl famous plesiosaur head coming out from the lock. And um, it's called the surgeon's photo because it was Robert Kenneth Wilson who took the picture. And he was a well-respected doctor and he thought that if you put his name to this photo, it might just give him a bit of discredit in his profession. So, okay, that's fair enough. So it became the surgeon's photo. And for the next 60 years, this became the photo for Loch Ness. And you know, guys, you've seen it all in the mystery books. And I'll be honest with you, when I think about Loch Ness, I think about this photo because it's just iconic. So this time in the 1930s, it became a worldwide phenomenon and people were getting used to the name. It became a household name of the Loch Ness Monster. And there were other sightings and other photographs and some video evidence um, over the years. But again, as I said, there was nothing really hardcore. So that Nessie became, as I mentioned, the, the cryptid. And the surgeon's photo was the main runner to say, yeah, there is what we believe to be a plesiosaur so that was you know put into people's minds but what's interesting is that the people started to look into this case and they started looking at old texts to see if anybody else in the past had actually seen anything and so it raised, raised some attention and one of the cases is an interesting case going back 1500 years uh, to uh, a guy called Saint Columba uh, he was a missionary, he was going to see the, the, the King of Scotland at that time and he said in some old text that he, he visited the lock and he came across uh, what he described as a beast uh, in, in the lake and he confronted it and at this time there was someone who was being attacked by this beast so being a, a missionary himself or a man of religion, he um, he outcast the beast and said never never to return or attack anybody. Um, so that is in some ancient text somewhere, which is interesting. Um, which is an interesting case where there is a little bit of folklore here going back to 1,500 years. And then there are some other cases. I think there was like 1875 where there was some fishermen on a boat and they came across something that they described as a, a sea serpent. And again, they were describing the humps and I think like the long neck. So there is some other evidence from the past in the lock um, to relate to the Monday cases, which would suggest that there is something going on here. Um, but going back to the surgeon's photograph, so as I mentioned, for 60 years, it was like the leading photo of the Loch Ness Monster. And it was like the hard bit of evidence to say that there is you know, possibly a plesiosaur in there and everybody was... You know, had their own opinions on that but there's a large amount of us that were thinking yeah that's you know that, that could be what it is you know because we've got this photograph and it's pretty cool but in the 1990s a zoologist called David Martin uh, disproved this photograph and he did some work on it he analyzed the photograph and it turned out to be um, a clockwork submarine with a plesio plastic plesiosaur head on it which was uh, taken by the surgeon uh, Robert Wilson but this case is where this case kind of becomes interesting now a year before he took that photograph the Daily Mail hired a monster hunter called Marmaduke Weatherall and he was a game game hunter because there was so much interest in this case at that time and he claimed that he found some footprints uh, which belonged to the, you know, the 
what he believed to be like a dinosaur. The Daily Mail had a look at those footprints and it, again, uh, it went into the newspaper, but then it, it got found out that it was a hoax. These actual footprints were from a taxidermist uh, hippopotamus uh, umbrella um, stand or something like that which they had in those times so he's using that to make these imprints and say look I found something unusual but it got disproved as a hoax at that time um, Marmaduke came away a little bit disgruntled by it all and he got found out so he went to Robert Wilson um, I think he was a friend of his at the time and they just put this thing together to say well, how about if you know you're a recognized surgeon you're a respected guy so if you take the photograph you know let's have the daily mail over here let's say you find um, you take a picture and we'll rig it all up we'll get a clockwork machine and that's 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 what happened here so basically this the acts of this monster hunter that we turned up because he got disproved as a hoax he then put together this uh, another hoax, which was the famous photograph. So in the end, you could say that he succeeded um, for that um, lengthy amount of time, and he basically fooled everybody, thinking that there was a, a, a you know a plesiosaur with this photograph. And to also tying this uh, this up, um, Marmaduke Weverell's uh, relative came out. Um, came forward in the 90s and said to the zoologist yeah that is that is a fact uh, it was a hoax um, that story right there with um, Marmaduke and the surgeon putting this all together is a fact and that's what happened so this all came out in the light in the 90s and even the zoologist came out and said look you know we we feel responsible for finding out that these photos which are worldwide famous are actually a hoax and I think they you know I've looked at some sort of documentaries on this and even they've said you know we felt a little bit bad about it to be honest with you because we know how much people love this case um, and we've now debunked some of the some of the famous evidence that you know we'll, we all know and love in you know the mystery books and stuff like that but but you know putting all that aside and the reason why I've, I've, I've spoken about that and put that together which is important for this case is off even after you know in the 90s we, we are still today in you know 2021 uh, kind of thinking well could still be something there you know could, could there still be something in those waters and there's still evidence coming forward today of people saying we've we've seen stuff and between 1933 and modern day times, there's, there has been a huge amount of interest in this case. There's been sonar scans, there's been top scientists, um, scuba divers, submarines. Uh, I think one of the first sonar readings was back in 1954 with Rival 3. Rival um, you've got a leader of the Loch Ness project uh, Adrian Shine he went to the Loch back in 1974 he's still there today um, he's still using high-tech subs and you've also got people who've dedicated their life to trying to find out you know if there's a monster in this in this lock and one of them is uh, Steve Feltman um, who has had a lifelong search for to 27 30 years now and he has a Guinness world record for um, the largest monster hunt for the Loch Ness Monster 
And uh, yeah, he's he's pretty much set himself up by the lock. He's pretty he's given up his job and everything, and he's continuously um, taking photographs, video footage to see if he can try and capture this creature. Um, so there, there's there's a lot of dedication here with this, a lot of belief from people um, who want to find out this mystery, and. There's still, you know, there's loads of cases. I'm, I'm not going to talk about every case because I'll be here till sort of next year uh, talking about this. But there's an awful lot on on this case. So I've just basically sort of skimmed over um, and brought up some some important facts and stuff like that. Um, but in the end, I guess you could say that this, this mystery has really brought some life to that lock um, because it's it turns over. I think it's like over 41 million. Um, pound tourist industry at that lock you know you get um, people visiting there every year and you've got like a, a bit of a franchise people go to the Loch Ness shop I think there's a museum um, so yeah you know this this unexplained mystery has created some life and you know I don't think there's anything wrong in there you know you want to go up there and you know, try and find this monster I think it it, it, it brings a little bit of fun into the world and I don't really think there's any harm in that and again it's such a big big lock it was formed from the ice age and I, this is the thing with these mysteries there's always that part of yeah okay as I've just said you know those, those photographs were um, found, you know found to be a hoax but there's still always that thing of you know could there still be something out there? And I'll give you an example now. There's actually someone I was talking to, um, a friend of mine. And I was telling them that, you know, I was putting this show together. And they said, you know, what were you talking about this week? I said about the Loch Ness Monster. And they came out and said, well, I don't really believe in it. You know, I don't think it's real. And as a conversation went, I did say, but just how about this? I know you say it's not real, but would you actually swim in that? lake and the funny thing is actually came out and said mm, actually no I wouldn't and this was a really good conversation to have just before I did this show because it just showed that even though people say no I don't believe in it there's that little thing of okay then we'll go swimming out there that that, that person might not, maybe not everybody you know I'm not saying this everybody but my, my friend in this case actually had to think about this and thought you know what I don't think I would, because even though I don't think there is one, there's that. I suppose it's just that sort of psychological haunting thing that, you know what? Even though I don't believe in it, I'll probably swim out there and I'll probably get attacked by this beast, you know, nine my luck, and I'll be like the first case. So that's kind of how. And these are important conversations to have, you know. It's uh, it, it gets your mind working, it gets you thinking, and you, you start thinking, well, no, I don't believe in it, but then there's another part thinking, but there's that, that what if. And this kind of stems into the other thing that I wanted to talk about here. So I'm getting on to, I've given you some facts, I've given you some famous cases, and the, the, you know, the Loch Ness Monster is still, people out there still trying to look for it today. Um, but my take on it is, the way I look at it is now, when you look at the first case, say like in the 1930s, you've got to look at the um, the culture of that time. And you look at a couple of books that came out, um, some very famous books in fact. You had The Lost World, 
1912 by Arthur Conan Doyle was an expedition of um, scientists that find live dinosaurs in somewhere in South America and you also had um, Jules Verne's journey to the center of the earth where they come across um, dinosaurs and that came out in 1864 so in like popular culture um, in those times people were reading these books and I think we've always had that thing in us where we like to believe that there possibly could be dinosaurs that are still alive, you know, especially in some of the Ray Harryhausen movies from the 60s, uh, films like um, Jurassic Park. There's that thing where dinosaurs are, are cool in our culture and if they, are, if they were to be found alive somewhere in the world, it would be a good thing. You know, it'd be quite an exciting thing. So, with Loch Ness, there's going always going to be that thing of you know, it'd be great if it was. You know, that's where we're left with it. it it's probably not. You know, I think if there was a plesiosaur in there, we would see it, and there wouldn't just be one. There'd be quite a lot. You know, like I think they call it is it like a pod, like whales or whatever. Um, but. You know, moving on to what it could actually be, it's not ruling out that there could be something in there which which could be strange. Um, there's the famous fisherman, Jeremy Wade, um, on TV. He, he went to the lock and he came out with the idea that it's possibly a Greenland shark, uh, which when you look at pictures of it, have a look on Google, um, they're about 20, 20 foot long. Um, the dorsal fin is quite um, small. It's like a, it's very sort of bullet shaped, and I think if you saw that in the water from a distance and it poked its head out, you could probably say, "Well, that looks that looks quite mysterious." Um, they, they come from the North Atlantic, and there's also some suggestions that the lock actually goes out into the sea, so you could have possibly a shark like this that migrates into the lock. Could be seals, could be whales. Um, the other thing is, is you know, you could have um, branches off from trees, uh, which just get misidentified as being, you know, like oh, the like a plesiosaur. Um, so you've also got waves, phenomenons like that. So because I think that seed's been planted in the head from the 1933 sighting if people see something like a twig they might just go oh look this could be the Loch Ness Monster um, so yeah there's lots of realms of possibility I love it I think it's a great case um, I, I, I really hope Loch Ness just goes on forever you know as a mystery and as I said it brings a little bit of hocus pocus and it's not Ness. I don't see that as a bad thing I like that um but what I will leave you with before I, I close the show up is there is also a case which now this is kind of like a sort of final for me when someone says do you believe in a Loch Ness Monster? and I say well there's a huge possibility that it doesn't exist but I'll leave you with this thought back in 1938 and I really like this case is off the coast of South Africa there was a silicant, which was a fish from prehistoric times, and this has been extinct for like, or they thought it had been extinct for 66 million years, um, same time as the plesiosaurs, and this turned up in 1938 in a fishing net. Um, 
And that just makes me think that, you know, with a case like that, it's like, oh, this turned up. So if that's out there, what else could turn up? So there you go, guys. I will leave that with you as a bit of food for thought. And if you haven't seen the case with the sea account, have a look. It's a great case. Um, so there you go. That is the Loch Ness Monster. I'm not going to talk any more about that, guys, because there is a lot more I could go into. I could go into a little bit more depth. No pun in that. <laughs> um, but there you go. Hope you enjoyed that, guys. Um, let me tell you about where I'm going to be coming back soon. So I mentioned Bigfoot. Uh, there you go, I'm going straight in there for this. You know, I'm taking out the big hairs, but my next episode will be the uh, the Bigfoot case. Um, so I'll be taking a look at that. So that'll be coming out soon, probably a week's time or something like that. Um, and a little bit of admin for the show. I am a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network, so go and please go and check out all the other shows on there. Um, also check out my other podcast, my cinema review podcast called Bite Size Cinema. That's on all the other platforms um, connected to this show. So that's on iTunes, Spotify, and several other servers. If you put in um, the Mystery Vault podcast onto Google, there'll be some. It will take you somewhere where you can listen to the show. I've also got a Facebook page. So post anything on there. Any any mysteries that you want me to take a look at? Any comments? Anything like that? And uh, yeah, that's about it, guys. So as always. Keep it spooky, keep it safe, and I'll see you soon. show then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark metal health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, the podcast by The Cemetery, the podcast on Haunted Hill, the Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.